3: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Antonio. He had gynecomastia and is recovering from a severe eating disorder. Let's talk about it. Here we go. Uh, this is going to be hella interesting because, and this is the second day in the row where we have, uh, hopped into a recording where when I went to look at the pre-interview doc, I was like, I don't know what can I just say that 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 I thought,
0: I thought we were talking to, uh, we're going to be talking to a person who identifies as a female today because I saw gynecomastia and I assumed that gyna had something to do with a, a vagina and then Antonio hopped on the call and I was like, oh, what's this?
1: <laughs> well, you're double wrong there, Brad, because uh, gynecomastia has nothing to do with uh, vaginas. That's right. um, however, there is, I mean, there is, there's something to what you said that, that, Antonio, I saw you nodding your head in sort of agreeance of like thinking we were going to be talking about a, a woman's issue. Um, gynecomastia. Gyne, gynecomastia. Correct. Uh, How about you give our listeners a rundown on what that uh, what that disorder or ailment or disease is?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, it isn't um, what you guys first uh, anticipated, uh, but there is a connection, right? And um, gynecomastia is basically just overdeveloped male breast tissue. Um, It's not. It's not a disorder, disease, but it is an issue that very few people know about, Mm -hmm. Um, and there really isn't uh, a solution to it. Right? There's no cure for it other than um, corrective surgery, sort of plastic surgery. Um, So what what it means at the end of the day is that you are a male. You have all of the male biological reproductive organs um but you have excess breast tissue that makes you look like you have breasts like you have boobs and um i'm not talking like dad bod um you know like a little bit of of leo on the beach yeah exactly not not that it's literally talking
1: legit parrot tits
3: yeah it's literally you know i had for a lot of my preteen teenage years like uh, a b cup i'd I'd say like literally yeah Yeah, it was, uh, it was, mine is a severe case, right? Or was a severe case. Um, It varies, right? The severity varies, but um, mine was, was pretty severe for my age and my, and my build.
1: So, okay. uh, Antonio, how old are you now?
3: 31.
1: Okay. You, uh, you look 25. You're, you're very young looking uh, 31 year old. Um, uh, When you, when, when, like, when did you get, Gynecomastia, like, was it? Was this? A, was this a, a sort of like a, a thing that that sprouted up with puberty, or 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 were there signs of it even before, like, even when you were younger than that?
3: Yeah, it, it is sort of a hormonal thing, but it it does um, sort of it, it presented in me a little bit before puberty, although it became much more prominent through that process. Right. So when I was around eight or nine years old. Um, I was a, I was a heavy set kid, right? Okay, I, was, yeah, a, I was
1: I was gonna wonder if you were like were you a chubby kid coming up or
3: yeah. So right? I was definitely a good old Italian chubster, <laughs> right? Coming up in when I was eight, nine, ten years old. And um, you know, I was I was bullied heavily, you know, for that, right? I was I was tortured a lot uh, in the schoolyard for uh for how heavy I was, um, because I was the fat kid in class. Um but as I sort of uh, grew up, as I sort of aged into my preteen, right? So 12, 13 years old, what happened was, you know, I sprouted up, right? I had a growth spurt. I sort of leaned out, mm-hmm. but I leaned out in every area except except my chest, right? So oh. I was I was sort of, um, you know, not skinny, right? But I was leaner than I was, it, but nothing happened to, to the breasts, right? So I was... I was in a situation where I was like literally having to hunch over and, you know, it, because if I stood up straight, you know, it, it did, would just did look you, Did you
0: sort of attribute mm. that wow. um, excess breast tissue at first to like being overweight and then losing weight and then thinking that like, oh, I'm retaining a lot of the weight just like in my chest or whatever? Was that kind of going through your head?
3: Yeah, I mean, my parents and I didn't know what it was. We had no, we we had never heard of gynecomastia before. I had I got diagnosed with it, right? So, yeah, we thought I was just a heavy set kid and I was going through puberty, and and hopefully, once the sort of hormones kind of rebalanced, everything else would kind of go along with it. But after a few years. You know, it was clear that it it wasn't going anywhere, right? I I had sort of uh, gone through, you know, puberty. I had um, leaned out. I I was turning into a man, and yet I had very female attributes. But so you, right? but you have
0: you Is have this? like uh, it's it's so interesting because I never one I've never heard of this before, but two I never would have guessed by the way that you look now in your appearance, you're. <laughs> Like, you look like a, a fairly fit-looking, more slim guy, but you have, like, a, a pretty nice-looking beard, especially f- for a guy who can't grow a beard like me. I'm I'm looking at your beard. I'm like, I'm pretty jealous. Like, I'd, I'd like to have uh, some facial hair like that. But did you, like, in terms yeah. of the rest of puberty and, like, developing as a guy yeah. would sort of expect, like, were, your, were the ho- hormones balanced in... In that sense and it was only the breast tissue or or were there other things happening
3: you know it's a great question and i don't even know the full answer to it honestly because we never really did all the testing right we never thought um to to check all that stuff out but i will tell you like my my build was always you know I don't know mesomorphic or whatever I, there's ways to describe it but I do have like wide set hips right like I do have a little bit more um, around the the midsection um but really the most part was just just the breasts like you know I, I grew, facial hair. I grew sort of, you know, underarm hair, chest hair, whatever it was, it was all there the way it was supposed to be. Um, but, but just never lost, uh, the, the tits. <laughs> mm. <laughs> have you ever,
2: have, uh, have you ever, have you ever looked into the, the, how common how common this is because like I'm thinking back like when you say that and you're talking about being back in school and being bullied and things and like I'm the thinking back to, used to, bully to school Taylor. and I'm like you know <laughs> I, I was ne- I was never that I was never that person <clears throat> um Fuck, but, yeah fucking right no I actually I actually I actually wasn't um and uh and I like I remember there being like you know I feel like plenty of, of, of kids that were, that were, you know, a little heavier set and like they, Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, they had, you know, I'm sure that they, they, a lot of them probably got made fun of and, you know, saying that they had man boobs or whatever the thing or whatever it was that they were being. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself like with that, like just having this conversation, Mm -hmm. like, you know, how common, how common is it for, for, for a male to have that, to have that problem and, and really, and at that time have no idea and uh, and then suffer obviously because of yeah. it socially because yeah. you know mm. kids are animals.
3: Yeah, I think I think it's it's fairly common actually when you look at what gynecomastia is right and who gets diagnosed with it. But again, the severity varies mm. right across each individual case. Yeah. So. And, and build comes into it too, right? I mean, you would expect a heavier set person to have, you know, excess sort of fat tissue or breast tissue or whatever in, in certain areas, right? Um, the difficulty was when I did lean out and I was sort of a normal, very normal build, athletic build, you know, I played sports and yet I had like, and again, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, sort of graphic or whatever, but think of a palm, like the palm of your hand. Like I had a full breast, mm, like yeah. in the palm of my, of like my a hand. Bag and when, of sand. Yeah. And when I ran, they would bounce. Right. And it, it was, it was very, they were very prominent and very Man, um, noticeable. Yeah. Right? I, to
1: the, I got, I did a quick, like a quick, like search, yeah. like you can see here, like that, that, so we're we're looking for people that can't see obviously because it's a mm-hmm. fucking audio podcast. Um uh, I did a quick like Google image search and like you can see from this image here like that yep. that's clearly like um what what you would consider like a severe case right. of Afghanic And Comasso. that's basically really? that's
3: basically what it was.
1: Yeah, and it, and then as you see like when you scroll down it like there is kind of um there is kind of uh, you can see like like this one here of like Buddy who's big like range. jacked up like that that you know to the left on the left side which I guess is considered Gano Camassia, like I look at that and I go oh yeah, that yoke. guy's just packed out like yeah he's just yeah. yoked and got fucking huge pecs but you you can see like how it really does vary mm-hmm. quite a bit yeah.
2: um, what is the uh, what is the hor- it, like is it like immediately when you think of that in relation to guys mm-hmm. and I, I I know that I know that coming up um. Coming up in, um, in like high level sports, there was always talk about, you know, guys who might be using some steroids and then they come off their steroids and, you know, they, their, they, that their muscle tissue starts to like turn into, turn into fat and they might get, they might have more breast tissue. Um, and I know, and like, you know, you have uh, attributed to some, like you hear things like, is is there too much, do you have, uh you know, like high levels of estrogen, is that, is estrogen, does estrogen play into it at at all? Or is it, or is it, um, or is it, uh, or is it something else?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a variety of factors. It's, it's basically just a hormonal imbalance. Right. And I think estrogen can play a part in it, you know, lack of testosterone, um, level, right. Too much testosterone. Right. Um, Hmm how the testosterone and the DHT blockers interact, right? There's, there's a number of different sort of, um, (laughs) factors and variables in, you know, why it presents the way it does. Um, so I don't really have the the exact answer for myself and I don't, I don't really think anybody has the exact answer either. Right. Because if they did, they'd be able to treat hormonally. Right, instead of surgery. I imagine that, <laughs> exactly. um,
0: like, I'm just sitting here imagining how difficult it would be as a guy, you know, who identifies Frugal. as a guy at that age, dealing dealing with with the situation.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what was that like for you? Like, how did
1: it? How did it take a toll on you emotionally? Did it fuck with your gender identity at all? Like, did it make you? Absolutely, it did. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So, I mean. I, I, I was so young right I was like this started literally eight to 12 13 years old right so even in that in that phase of life you're still tr- you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on you're in the first place everything right? yeah, exactly. yeah exactly like why am I all of a sudden flushed in front of this like 12 year old girl who I used to you know push down in the sandbox or whatever right and so yeah, it did. I mean, I wasn't consciously that's aware nagging, of it.
1: Actually, yeah. I, I
3: exactly I, I, right. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's one I saw it in a book. I saw it in a book. In ta- <laughs> t- no, no, no. I saw it in a book at your
1: house, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Right. On nice. on that bookshelf behind you, right there. <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> yeah, pretending uh, to be mean, right? Because it, it means you like them. But um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't consciously aware of it, but I did end up thinking, like, you know. I'm a boy. I know I'm a boy. Mm. I like girls. I like sports. I like all of these things. I always identified as a male, but when you go in the shower or you're taking off your shirt around the other kids that you're playing hockey and soccer with, and you're going like, they don't have breasts. Like, why am I the only one who has these? And again, like not, they're not little or whatever. Yeah. It started to basically, really screw with my mind and it started to make me think like maybe i'm just a mistake like maybe biologically i'm like an error like i'm a mistake like god god or whoever right at the time you don't know you're a kid god made a mistake i was supposed Mm -hmm. to be a girl but i got all mixed up or you know i was supposed to be a boy but somehow there's was a mistake and i'm half Mm -hmm. girl half boy like literally to the point of like I didn't know what a hermaphrodite was. Right. But I'm like, I'm a guy, right. I have balls, testicles, whatever, but I also have tits. Right. So like how the, like, somebody makes sense of this for me. I Mm. had no idea how to do it. So, yeah, I mean, gender identity, not in the sense of how I identified more in the sense of just like a genetic repulsion, like a genetic mistake Mm. that like nobody was ever going to, Find attractive or love. Do you, do you remember or, you said that anything.
0: that was yeah. that was sort of like unconscious at first. Um, but do you do you remember yeah. when you first like started consciously knowing? I mean, I'm sure you're getting a lot of negative reinforcement on those thoughts from like the bullying and you know other yeah. other people your age. But do you remember like having the first conversation with like your your parents or family or friends about it?
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean, not not distinctly, but I do know that it was heavily related to the bullying, right? And and just feeling mm-hmm. totally abnormal and sports as well, again, right? Like sports and my aunt and uncle had a swimming pool. I love to swim, but I hated taking my shirt off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those different things, but the bullying was one because the bullying was targeted as well, right? As soon as I got to around 11, 12 years old, they you know they would pull their shirts out right like at the chest level and in two points right walk around sort of effeminately right like it was clear they were saying like you have tits we Mm. don't Mm. you're weird right like Mm. we don't we don't screw we don't mess with you kind of thing like you're not one of us so I think it was around like 12 probably 11 12 years old when I was a hundred percent sure, like I'm going through puberty. I know I like girls. I'm a hundred percent sure. I like girls. I know I'm a dude. Um, but I know that like, I can't live in this body. Like something has to give. Mm. Um, otherwise Mm. I I don't know what I'm going to do.
2: When was it that you, when, when was it that it became, it, it even came across your radar? I mean, obviously like you're, something changed when you, when you, when you got taller and you leaned out and then, Mm. but then you're left with the, with with the excess tissue in your chest. Like when, when is that the moment where you were like, I need to talk to a doctor, but like, was that the first time that even uh, talking to a doc about this as a, like, because again, like you're talking about all these things that you're like, Hey, maybe I like, this is just, this is just me. This is like, this is a a mistake or whatever. Like, when does it even pop into your mind that this, that this is something that a doctor should even know, know about.
3: It was a long process, man. I, um, I lived with it for a number of years, right. Um, in a, in a pretty aggressive state and my family doctor was a little bit older, right. He was aware and we had brought it up to him, but he did the like, you know, generic, family doctor, general physician thing. Right. He looked in every, in all the areas and he went like, yeah, everything's where it's supposed to be. Everything looks like it's supposed to look like you, you have these things, but you are overweight. So, you know, let's see what happens. Right. And
2: let's revisit this after your entire social development is over. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Until until you're like depressed,
3: locked in the the bathroom, like crying your eyes out, you know, uh, screaming at yourself that you're a disgusting, you know, repulsive person. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's basically what it was. I went through, it took me about two, two and a half, three years, I would say from about 10 to 13 years old of literally just begging my parents, begging my family doctor to get referred to a specialist. But even that a specialist, right. Quote unquote specialist was literally a plastic surgeon. Mm-hmm. Like I went to see a plastic surgeon. They're like, yeah, you have it. Here are your options, right? Have this surgery and fix it. Right. But it's always going to be a little weird um, or, you know, live with it it's, and, and It's see hard what too happens, because it so. brings
0: this like really interesting question, you know, sort of up. And, and that's like, you know, what, what is, what is right? Is it right to like teach us to love our bodies the way that they are, or is it right, right. to, you know, acknowledge that you feel uncomfortable with the way that you look to the point where it's causing disorder in your life. And should you address that and make physical changes to your body? So like if the doctor is assessing you and saying, you know, your health, you're healthy and there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the way that you look, then is it more, um, important to get you the access to resources and help, mentally so that you can accept and live with it or is it like a hey this just has to fucking change or i won't be able to live my life comfortably
1: speaking of that like is what this procedure it did it fall under like um uh Uh, elective surgery right because it was because like technically you're healthy like you're fine everything's where it should be you just have a pair of knockers like is it It, is it just cosmetic and and you have
3: to pay out of pocket sort of thing or uh, all great questions so the answer is depends how old you are so Hmm. if you are over the age of I think it's 16 or 18. I'm I'm not 100% sure to be quite honest. I was under 16, right? I was I was 13, 14 when I did it. Um but it is. It is elective cosmetic surgery after you're 16 or 18 years old. Um when you're uh, sort of a child and you have a severe case, it it mine was covered under under OHIP, right? Okay. Under, yeah. So, but- so good
1: thing, you, I mean, good thing you as a 13-year-old had the, like, the, you know, the self- Advocacy to push to like get the referral, you know. Be, yeah, like I mean, before it became something that you had to actually, unfortunately, pay for.
3: Listen, I didn't think I had a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, as this thirteen-year-old, I was like, "This life fucking mm-hmm. sucks." Yeah, it was driving me mad. Yeah. I can't live like. There's no yeah. way I'm living another. Fuck it! I can't even live another five years like this, yeah. let alone the rest of my life. So. In my mind, I had no choice. It was like, yeah. and even when I went to see the plastic surgeon, they were like, yeah, you can either do this or do that, right? Surgery, it's always going to be a little whatever. I was like, I don't need to hear anything else. Put me in the calendar today. I'll do it tomorrow, right? Yeah. Like, I put me in the operating room tomorrow. But the thing that I think is really important, and I hope, right? This is 17 years ago, right? Or 16 years, whatever it is. I hope it's come... A, a long way, right? Because what I think is super critical that did not happen is addressing what you guys were saying. Like, is addressing the mental component mm-hmm. of this, right? Like, I I went in there and I was having all these gender, you know, identities. So, like, am I this mis- biological mistake? Whatever. Like, there's a lot of underlying mental, emotional trauma, and mm-hmm. like just shit that's going on in your mind. And the surgery doesn't do anything for that, right? The surgery yeah, fixes yeah. the physical, yeah. but what you're left with is all that baggage, right? All yeah, that yeah. fucking trauma, all and, that <clears throat> that shit that you went through.
1: And I know that <clears throat> I know that 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 trauma did last. Um, you you went on to develop an eating disorder, did you not? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I developed the eating disorder a little bit even before I got the surgery. Um, yeah. To be quite honest, because I was you know, a a big kid and I got bullied for bullied for being, you know, the, the fat kid in class. Yeah. What I, what I started doing around 12, 13 years old to try to change my body uh, under my control before the surgery was to just throw my lunch away as soon as I went to, to school, right? So I'm Italian, right? My mom would pack a big Italian lunch. 18 yeah. lunches. Yeah, exactly. Right. One day. Nice big sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Cold cut sandwich, right? A bunch of <laughs> different snacks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been I, to an
2: Italian wedding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's an we experience. Are, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so a full litter a lunch bag, right? I would get sent to school with and and first thing in the morning every single day for probably a year or two years i threw that thing in the trash i didn't give myself an option i didn't trust myself right if i if i didn't throw it away right when i got there maybe i would eat something and god forbid if i did that right so yeah every single day for for good for school for the school year anyways right i would get to school i would throw away my lunch then i would get home and my mom would say you know it's time for dinner and i would say yeah you know i had all your beautiful big lunch. And I had a snack when I got home, not that hungry mom. Like I might have a little bit of dinner, but not much. And it, and it was pretty restrictive in nature thinking back, not knowing at the time. I mean, again, I was, I was a kid. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what I was doing. I just knew I wanted Mm. to be thinner.
2: It's such a, it's such like, it's so overly, it's so overly attribute attributed as a, as a, uh, as a female um, issue that's faced. And, and I, I, which, which uh, like to me growing up, I, I, I thought that way too. And I probably thought that way until we really, we started doing this show. But like, when you think about elementary school, junior high and junior high, especially like who isn't going through like massive insecurities about their body, even like at, at, Every at each end of the spectrum, everybody like, you know, you, you've either got something that you want to change, or you, or you, or you, or you. you Dude, don't, think that's, but you that think lasts you do. forever. And like, because you, no that, one's I think that people
0: always yeah, live with mm-hmm. insecurities about their bodies.
2: But it's like, but it's like it, rampant. It's because then. of the bullying. <laughs> and like you were saying, Antonio. Yeah, and and like, like you were saying, Antonio, it's not like you don't know necessarily like you're not super tuned into it Mm -hmm. consciously. Like you become bit by bit tuned into it. And you know, like I want to maybe like, oh, like your, your, your idea of what you want to change is external because it's, because people are telling you what you should change rather than really like you feeling it or wanting it or the primary goal
0: being in, in, in like middle school is to fit in like all people want to do is be accepted mm-hmm. by their peers and so you'll do anything if you're being bullied you'll do anything to <coughs> sort of take away those reasons on why you feel that you're experiencing that bullying
2: yeah, yeah. i yeah, wanted exactly. to ask there like is your it, on the on the po- like, is there a positive angle from the social perspective like like were you then because of the bullying that you faced were you then Were you then sort of like steered into friendships with, with, with people that, you know, you like maybe otherwise, like when I look back on my life and I think like, well, if I wasn't into that thing, then I would have never met that person. And like, you know, if, if, if I, you know, that type of thing, like, did you form relationships, you know, because of the things that you went through?
3: You know, the difficult part is, it's a good question. The difficult part is, uh, I, honestly, I, I had no friends. Like, honestly, I had no friends. I mean, I had friends for a certain time period and then heard, you know, sort of, uh, you know, herd mentality as soon as kind of the more popular kids started picking on me and bullying me, bullying me all my friends disappeared, mm-hmm. right? They all turned, right, and started doing the same thing. And so... Yeah. I mean, I didn't really have friends and even the friends I had still busted my balls about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which was like even worse, right. Because it's like, you're the people I trust, right. Mm -hmm. You're, you're supposed to be my friends and I'm telling you this pisses me off and you're still doing it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, to be honest, I spent, I learned early in my life again, more subconsciously to not trust anybody, basically to keep everyone at an arm's length. My quote unquote friends were more acquaintances. They were people that I just talked to. So I wasn't a complete loner, Um, but I didn't, I didn't really make friends, man. I I don't have lifelong friends. I don't have a ton of friends from high school and whatnot. Um, I have good people that I know, but I didn't make those relationships because I was so insecure, right? Mm -hmm. I was so uh, focused on presenting a certain picture to everyone, right? Presenting a certain thing um, and and stuffing down all the like all the issues and all the baggage as far down as I could. Mm. And reinventing trying to reinvent myself like over and over again. like I know specifically when I left elementary school and I went to high school, I reinvented myself. I said, nobody knows now that I, I used to have tits, right? So bang, I can start fresh. Nobody knows I was bullied. Nobody knows I was, you know, the loner, or whatever, whatever. Right. Then I, you know, went through high school. I went to university. I flipped again. I said, this is a time to reinvent myself. Nobody knows me. I'm going to be the like cocky, like, you know, dating for sport, you know, just just basically do everything I want to do that I didn't do mm. in in my, like in my childhood, in my, in my teen years, I'm going to drink, I'm going to party. I'm going to, you know, um, work out. I'm going to do all these things, get girls, everything. And I completely flipped and, and that became for those number of years, my personality. And, and ultimately what happened is I ended up going through the majority of my life, not knowing who the fuck I was. Mm. I I didn't know, like I never really (laughs) figured out who is Antonio, right? Like Mm -hmm. who do I want to be? Um, you know, not, not from how do I want to look or how do I want to present myself? But, but who am I? Who do I want to be? What are my values? What are my, I I never took, took the time to build that because I didn't care. The only Mm. thing that mattered to me was, was the external validation and the physical um, piece of it. Mm
2: -hmm. When, when I, 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 I very much identify with a a similar sort of a similar sort of, um, a similar sort of thing. Like I, I, I very much, I very much like wore the mask of the, of the jock, uh, through my adolescence. And then, and then, you know, I, I ended up switching schools in high school to to play hockey and realized that, you know, hockey, that was like kind of the beginning of the end for my hockey career, like realizing that there was so much more to life than this thing and all this, and this thing that I thought really made me who I was. And and so I went through a lot of, I ended up going through a lot of changes from like the, like the age of 17 to 21. I mean, I, I think as most people do, mm-hmm. but like it, it certainly wasn't until, Quite a bit after those changes had taken effect, that I could look back and say, Hey, I whoa, I changed. Like, I like, were were you consciously making those? Were were those conscious decisions? Were you, were you, were you in the moment saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change? Or, or was it, or was it something that was more natural that you, that you realized when you look back on? Like, or was it, was it consciously being done? It
3: wasn't organic. It was not. It was very, prescribed from a place of ra- rationality as as weird as that sounds it was like this is what I have perceived to be important to get friends to get girls to be accepted to do whatever so that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna mm-hmm. model myself in all of those different ways um, to the point where yeah I mean I played you know competitive hockey um, you know I started, I was always a smart kid. I, I literally started making the choice to not care about my grades, right? Even though I could get better grades, I didn't want better grades. because Classic you get, cool guy move. Yeah, exactly. Classic you get cool good grades, you're the nerd, right? You're right. not the jock, you're not the athlete. I wanted to be just like all the hockey boys, right? Like the good old boys. And I started speaking like them. I started acting like them. And I remember very, uh, very clearly, You know, my older brother one day, like, you know, I I forget what I was saying, probably a whole bunch of buds and, you know, Mm. sauces and dangles or whatever. Right. And he literally (laughs) smacked me in the back of the head. He literally just smacked me in the back of the head. He said, hey, you're not them. You're not them. You're better than that. Know who the fuck you are. And I will never forget that. It did affect me. It didn't change completely, but at least it snapped me back into a, always sort of an underlying sense Mm -hmm. of like, this is the line, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to cross that line to the point where it's literally going to have an impact on the rest of my life. Like I'm not going to get shitty grades because I think that's cool because that's going to stop me from getting into a good university and then, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever else, but, but it still didn't, it As much as you would think that's a powerful moment, and it was, that sense of insecurity was so deep-rooted in me Mm. that I couldn't let go of it completely, right? Mm. So I still wanted all of those things, and I still, again went to all the parties and dressed in all the preppy clothes that were cool at the time, right? The Hollister, the Abercrombie, whatever it was, I snuff yeah. vodka, yeah. <laughs> yeah. vodka from my parents, you know, uh, you know, covered or whatever. I mean, I did all the things that just, I just wanted to be cool, right? I just wanted to be accepted. I did all yeah. the things that I was supposed to do, right? And, it's, um, it's,
0: it's interesting to hear you say that because I was also going to ask, before you answered that question i was actually going to ask if if that moment of reinventing yourself actually helped you helped bring out more of the real parts of you because you know you had been bullied and picked on so much that like like i would imagine this moment of reinventing yourself being an opportunity to actually for people to see who you really are but was there any parts of parts of that that, that allowed you to actually embrace who you truly were or was it like Mostly just this like mask or guys that you were putting on yeah. to, to fool everybody, <laughs> to make everybody think yeah. that you're somebody that you're not.
3: It was mostly the latter. But again, what it allowed me to do at least was have a foundation, right? Like a sort of a baseline of the things that I did care about, even, even though I wasn't comfortable showing them externally, right. For fear of, um, you know, being ridiculed. Right. So like my grades, I never promoted that. Right. I never wanted people to know that. Yeah. Like I read books outside of the books that are assigned (laughs) to us. Right. Like I write poetry, like literally, and this is the thing, right. Like, you know, it's so weird. Like I played the sports, right. I'm obviously a male. Right. But, but everything in my life, there's been this like mirror of, like a little bit of masculinity, right? Like a little bit of femininity in the things that I enjoy. Like obviously my my physical features, right? The gynecomastia. Um, I liked writing poetry, right? I I liked sort of like rom coms and stuff like that. I was not letting anybody know that shit. There was no way anybody in my life was going to know that. Not even my family, you know. But. But yeah, I mean, uh, and then the eating disorder too, right? The eating disorder, as we talked about, like when people hear that, there's a, there's a very clear picture for most people of what, Mm. of what comes to mind, right? From an eating disorder, Mm. it is like preteen, adolescent, young Mm. adult, like females, right? And Mm -hmm. here I am, you know, a dude, 30 years old, right? 25, 30 years old, struggling with an eating disorder and it, it 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 progressed and it got more severe over the years. Yeah. But but it was another sort of all through my life there was this main stitch of like this feminine this more feminine emasculating sort of trend, you know?
1: I'm glad you came back to the eating disorder thing because we we sort of just we sort of just uh scratched the surface of it earlier and yeah. and brushed by it. Um how did that, how did your eating disorder, um, evolve and, and, and did you ever receive a specific diagnosis to your, to your eating disorder? And if so, what was the diagnosis?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it did, like I said, it progressed and it got more severe throughout the years. I, it kind of left in university because I was lifting a lot of weights and I was, you know, really just focus on building muscle. So, you know, when I left university, I mean, I I was, I was working out like two and a half, three hours a day, right? Like eating like crazy. I was 185, 190 pounds, like, you know, 20 pounds of muscle extra or whatever it was, but then you graduate, right? And then real life starts and you get a nine to five desk job and you can't work out as much and things get stressful. And I just got to the point where, My lifestyle had changed. I was leading a more sedentary lifestyle, not so active. And so I said, okay, I, I have, I'm so, I was so fearful of gaining weight again, right? Because of all the, the negative I had attributed to being overweight and being, you know, looking a certain way. I was like, okay, I have to do something else to control my weight and my body, right? And the way that I did that was through the eating disorder. And and it started with just being restrictive. You know, it, it, it progressed into more probably anorexic, right? Like, again, super severe restrictive. And then I got to the point where I started, I was bulimic, right? I, I was bulimic only for certain situations. Right. Um, you know, if I had had like a big, big meal, right. I was going to get rid of it. If, if I had desserts that I wasn't like, you know, not supposed to have, right. I was Mm going to try to get rid of it. And the worst thing about it was it, it was easy for me. Right. I had gotten to a point where it, it had gotten really easy for me to do it. Um, and that's a slippery slope right but getting there you would be you wouldn't believe the things that have happened and the things that you would think like nobody would continue doing that if this happened to them like i'm you know i forget what i was maybe 24 25 years old i've stuffed my my face full of everything i could possibly you know do my stomach is distended like crazy there's no option i'm in like I'm on the the bathroom floor crying. I'm like this has to get like I got to get this out of me, right? I had no gag reflex, right? I'm I'm trying to put fingers down my throat to make myself, you know, vomit and and sort of get relief and I can't do it. Because and I'm, you've
1: like your your gag reflex is just used to yeah, exa- like, yeah, like you you've overused it to the point where like you don't have the reflex anymore.
3: That's right. And like, also fuck. Also, when you're trying to do it and you don't get it done in the first couple of attempts, then you like trying to get it done after that, like, you know, seven to eight attempts, whatever is, yeah, your, your gag reflex is not going to be there. Mm. So I'm literally like in pain crying. Like, I'm like, there, there is no option. I, Mm. this has to come out of me or I'm going to like, I'm going to explode. So. I literally grabbed, and I, I don't know what was going through my mind. This is the desperation, right? I grabbed um, a table knife, like a knife that you would use for, um, oh, you know, like buttering bread or like whatever, not a serrated knife, but just yeah, yeah, like just a table a knife. knife. Yeah. Um, and it was long, right? And I, it was longer than my fingers. So I said, okay, like, let me use this. Whoa. So I'm shoving a like a, a, a table knife down my throat to try to make myself gag and, oh my and, God. and vomit. And it got stuck. It literally, no. yeah, I lost it for about 20 seconds and I was oh. freaking the Holy fuck shit. out. It was Whoa. in my, in my throat. And I've never Holy told this story before to, to be quite honest. So this will be <sighs> news to anyone who hears it. And <sighs> I'm, I'm literally in my bathroom. I'm freaking out. I can't breathe. I have a knife in my throat and I was able to literally put my, you know, hand in my mouth and pull it out. Whoa. And I'm bawling at this point. I'm crying. I'm like freaking out. I'm like, I almost died. Like, I don't even know what would happen. Right. And in my mind, I'm going, I'm never doing this again. This is the last straw. I will never do this again. Two weeks later, I was right, doing it again. Right
1: back at it. Yeah. I was doing totally it again, fine.
3: and and that's the desperation. That's the yeah. fear that was so deep in me that I would do that over and over and over again, and just because I didn't want to get, I didn't want to gain weight. I'm Francesca Ramsey and I'm
2: Delon Grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast
3: called Let Me Fix It. Each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: You know, we we've we've spoken to a number of people over the the last um, 5 or 6 years about eating disorders. Um, and you know, it, I, I think it's, um, it's safe to say that, uh, anorexia, bulimia, um, you know, whatever eating disorder you're, we're, we're talking about can wreak some pretty intense havoc on, yeah. on the human body. Oh, yeah. Um, what, like, how, how bad did it get, you know, yeah. like how, what, what, what kind of damage did you do to your body over those years of yeah of restriction and and purging?
3: Yeah, severe damage. I mean, and and I'm you know I'm only six months clean, right? Six months sober from from it, right? So I'm six months recovered and I'm still fresh, but I'm I'm definitely uh, to to come where I am now to to where I was is is crazy. But yeah, I mean, I. I went from, like I said, coming out of university, I was probably 185, 190 pounds, pretty, you know, husky, right? Like pretty good meat on me. Um, when about a year ago, when I entered basically a a rehabilitation program for, for the eating disorder, um, I was 120 pounds, five foot 10, 120 pounds. Um, I was purging 12, 15 times a day. Literally wow. like wow, full calorie deficit, anything, basically anything that went in, I was trying to get it out. Holy that, that was basically how it was. Um, You know, and then to your point, like the physical toll, right. So let alone the, the teeth, right. Like obviously my enamels like fucked my teeth are fucked, whatever. Right. Not as bad as mm. some, but, but they're, they're not great. You know, my white blood cell count was like, Down below 2000, which is like what you would have basically if you're like in chemotherapy, right? Like if you're getting radiation treatment, um, my electrolyte levels were like completely out of whack. Like my potassium was like six point whatever. And if it's over five, your heart can stop at any point, literally I'm not, you know, I'm not playing. Um, yeah, I mean, my hemoglobin, my, you know, basically you name it, right. I was, I was malnourished to the point that all of, all of those blood work, you know, ratios were, were just completely messed up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I went to the doctor when I finally realized that, that I just, I I had to get help. Like, I just didn't want to live like that anymore. I went to the doctor, I got the full blood work done. And, and basically they looked at me and said like, I can't let you leave until you tell me like you will get help because mm. you could walk outside and, and literally drop dead. Heart attack, like yeah. I, I was working out two and a half hours a day, excessively exercising with no, like no calories in my body. Like yeah. so many mm-hmm. times through those workouts, I would see stars. I would be close to passing out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was crazy man. Was I would there, drive drive was, home from work and 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 not know how I got home, you know. Was there
1: was there something was there something specific or something said or or something done that made you d- make that decision to go seek help? Or or was it just the just a case of like you know, this was enough wear and tear that you, you had to make yeah. a choice. Every,
3: everything was spiraling and it was, it was a, a culmination, right. Of, of my entire life at the time. Like I, I had no friends. I didn't want to do anything. Like I went to work, I came home. I was, everything was around food and either what I was going to eat, what I was not going to eat, what I had to get out, right. How it was going to work out in order to, 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 um, counteract the food. Right. I, I didn't have any female interaction for years. Right. I, not, not only because nobody finds that stuff attractive, but like, how are you going to be with a girl and then be in the bathroom yakking or whatever. Right. Like it just doesn't work. Right. Um, hmm. so, everything, my, my work performance, right. Like, it's not like I was, I was terrible at work, but man, I couldn't, I couldn't function cognitively Mm -hmm. anywhere near the level that I was before. You know, everything was hazy. Everything was foggy for Mm -hmm. like two, three years. Um, So all of those things. Right. And, and just kind of this sense of depression, the sense of just not wanting to live you know i i I wasn't suicidal right but basically for a good year pretty much every night like i'd go to bed thinking man if i don't wake up tomorrow fuck that's fine mm-hmm. i don't care like you're, you're it's sober. better yeah. yeah like it's better if i don't wake up it may, the burden will be gone it'll be relief and nobody will have to worry about me anymore. And I'll never have to face these challenges and it'll just be done. It'll just be over. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when I started really getting to a point of like that being every night of literally saying like, I almost hope I don't wake up tomorrow or I hope I go to the doctor and he tells me I have cancer, which is so crazy. Like I can't even imagine somebody saying that to somebody who has been through cancer, but like, that was my life. It was like, I hope somebody gives me two months to live like a a, a terminal Mm. sort of diagnosis because I, I just can't, this existence, I I cannot continue in. Mm. And, Mm. um, it was basically like either, you know, keep going the way I was going and probably die or get help. And Mm. I got to a point where I was like, you know, I don't really want to die. You know, that's pretty much what it was. And, and, uh, you know, I made, I made the decision as hard as it was to admit it and, and get some help.
2: How hard was it? I
3: mean, you were,
1: sorry, Brad, go ahead.
0: Well, I I just wanted to say, and I was also thinking about something that I I said earlier. Um, I, like the reason why you felt that way is because you were suffering from a, um, it's a mental illness, like an eating disorder is a, uh, a mental illness and, you know like rationally you say i couldn't imagine somebody saying that like that they that they wish that they had cancer but like the reason why you're saying that is because you're not functioning in a rational mindset and you know it's i i've been sort of like stewing on this thing that i i said earlier and now i'm like i have a i have a thing of overthinking things but i i think it's important to bring up because when we first started this conversation and i knew that you had uh, Ganymacia and and we started to talk about what that is and I started to understand it. I made a comment about like your body and the way that it looks, and I think I made that subconsciously saying like, "Oh, you look like you know for people who can't see because this yeah. is a podcast, you look like a slim yeah. guy." And I'm curious about how commenting on body types especially for people who have suffered yeah. from eating disorders and and body dysmorphia yeah. and these things you know i think i made the assumption that because you're a guy it's okay to say, say something like mm-hmm. that or ask a question like that and i'm curious like did i you know sort of fuck up in in making that comment where you know for you because there's been this yeah. focus on how you look like is that something that can be triggering to somebody who's been through what you've been through. And
1: if Brian gives you anorexia again, <laughs> can you promise not to sue us?
0: <laughs> but, but, I, but I'm serious. And and I know that that's a funny joke, chair, but like, but,
3: but yeah, I am, I am serious. And I'm yeah. feeling, I'm feeling yeah. bad about saying yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, listen, um, I appreciate it. Right. I think the sensitivity is what I value. And, and I think it's a great thing that, that you are rethinking it a little bit, I, I would say, don't overthink it. Don't beat yourself up about it. It is it is a normal thing to say, right? It really is. I mean, that's the that's the the reality of the situation. But what I think is important, having been through this myself, right? for me, I try to make a conscious effort to not make comments about other people's bodies anymore. Right. Um, even if their body is what we would deem to be the ideal, like ideological sort of male or female Mm. physique, right? Like there's just so much in that, that we don't know for that individual person, right. Mm -hmm. How they Mm -hmm. feel about it, you know, what their insecurities are. And so Yeah, I mean, it can be triggering for people, especially people with, you know, body issues, um, you know, body dysmorphia, eating disorders. But for me, it's not triggering, thankfully, right? I've done the work, right? I've been through my recovery process. So I'm at a point where I'm comfortable and stable enough with it that I can talk about it and I understand and I hear your comment and I process it and I go, that's fine. It it is what it is. There's no Mm -hmm. malice in that. There's no, you know, there's no ridicule or there's, there's, there's nothing behind that other than just, you know, making conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. But for people who are in it or who haven't done the work on the like mental, emotional, like therapy side, yeah, that, that that shit can be triggering, right? It can yeah. be difficult, it yeah. can be hard. And, and the important thing for everyone to realize is that we don't know who's dealing with that stuff, right? You, yeah. Nobody wears a sign on their forehead or a name tag or, or whatever, right? Here are my issues, right? I mean, it would be easier, right? If everyone <laughs> kind of walked around because everyone has them, you know, with a list of what their issues are, but we don't know them and we project right? What we mm-hmm. think, what, what society's told us onto other people. If we see a, a dude with a beard or a, like, you know, muscles or whatever, we project what we assume to be positive reinforcement onto that person, but it might not be, you know, because yeah. of all the underlying stuff that that got them there. So listen, man, I appreciate it, but you don't got to worry about me, mm-hmm. but I think. I
0: appreciate the learning opportunity. Yeah. So. Yeah.
3: And so, it, it's thanks. always,
1: it's always a really great reminder.
0: Yeah, um, because
1: mm-hmm. because it's you know especially when it comes to like body body issues by whether it be body dysmorphia or or eating disorders it's like a lot of people who have who live with eating disorders d- don't typically show the way that we stereotypically think mm-hmm. what yeah, eating right. disorders look like. Right. Like, so it's, it's, it is a great reminder that,
2: um, that we think know, of the extreme and if it's not, the, that's right. It's not, that's yeah. right. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And every, every, you're right. Everyone has their shit. Everyone has and, the the things that they're going through and and none of us are, none of us are mind readers. None of us can tell, no. you know, it's, it's always, it's always, um, always one of those important things to consider. And the other
3: thing I'll just quickly say too is, is even me, right? Like telling this story for somebody who is having issues with their body or eating or whatever, they might hear this. And some of what I said, it might be triggering. Right. But that's my story. That's my journey. That's where I was, what I went through and where I am now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to talk about those things. It's healthy to talk about those things. My Mm -hmm. A lot of my issues were because I shoved that stuff way down and I didn't talk about it ever, and I yeah. pretended it wasn't there. And that's where that stuff really starts to fester and eat away and really mm. like destroy you from the inside out. You know?
0: Yeah.
2: I wanted to uh, to ask a question. We joked about it. We joked about it a little bit earlier. Um, how did? How was? What was the challenge, or what was it like? talking to your family about your eating disorder. And specifically, um, uh, we joked about, you you know, you come from an Italian family. Food is, I mean, food is, food is huge in, in, in most cultures, but like some, at least stereotypically more in others. What was that? What was that like? With like with your family, that conversation, mm. um, and and especially like if food was you know the kind of the stereotypical Italian sort of take on on yeah. food, which I know is
3: is yeah. big. It was probably the most difficult thing I've I've had to do was to look my family in the face and admit these things to them. Right? It was humiliating. It was. <clears throat> embarrassing. It was shameful. It was emasculating. It was all of those things. And, you know, again, my situation was everyone knew everyone could tell, right. I mean, you don't go from 180 pounds to 120 pounds and sort of not, you know, only eating certain things, right. Everyone knew what was going on, but the severity Mm -hmm. they, they didn't right? They didn't know obviously, you know, how bad it was. Um, so it wasn't a surprise to them. It wasn't a surprise to anyone. I'm, I, you know, we've re- we've recently talked through my journey about how they were getting to a point where if I didn't come to them, they were potentially gonna, you know, have an intervention for me. Basically, you know, it got to that point. But regardless, admitting it to my doctor and admitting it to my mom, who I am like the most close with, right? We have the best relationship was really difficult, but still easier than having to look my brothers in the face, having to look my father in the face, right? Like the male the male um, role models in my life, right? To have to say these things to them was the most difficult thing I've, I've like literally ever done in my life to the point where, yeah, for about two weeks from when I admitted it, to when I could like even just show my face around them again. Right. Like I mm. couldn't, I couldn't look them in the eye. I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk to them. Even I remember, you know, we had a family dinner again, a couple of weeks after I had admitted it and started to try to get some help. And my mom said the words eating disorder. And like those words were like literally like a knife was like stabbing mm. me, like, like searing into my skin I, I, I left the dinner table. I was like, I am not okay. I, I was so emotional. I was so raw. I was so vulnerable. I couldn't even hear those words in front of my family. Yes. Right. Okay. So yeah, it was really, really difficult, but that's the initial phase. And the yes. more you sort of familiarize yourself and expose yourself, the easier it gets.
0: I was going to ask you, how do you think that's impacted your relationships overall though, especially
3: like now looking back? I mean, so much better. I mean, I, I honestly, again, even the relationship with myself, I didn't, I didn't like myself. I didn't care what happened. Right. Like it's a, it's a surprise that I never started like hard drugs or whatever. I just always had that, you know, I thank my parents for that because I was drilled in that you never do that stuff, but the the disregard for my physical and emotional mental well-being i i i i didn't have any regard for it i didn't care i didn't i didn't you know take any pride in anything right so i all of my my relationship with myself first and foremost was the thing i had to really fix right and Mm -hmm. once i Started to do that, yeah. I mean, every other relationship starts to get better and starts to fall into the place as it needs to be as well. I mean, you're no longer putting on an act, you're no longer <sighs> hiding behind a mask. You're able to have real emotional connections with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird to say that, like, oh, you didn't have emotional connections with your family. Not really, man. Like it was very surface. We didn't do that stuff a lot. Stuff a lot. Like we never said "I love you." We never hugged. We never like that. Just wasn't really done. And so, yeah, it's it's been a lot better facing all those demons with my relation to to myself and being able to say, you know, I I am starting to like myself now. I can start to be make those emotional connections and those deeper connections with, with other people, starting with my family, and then hopefully branching out to, to external people as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, just to, to touch on before we wrap here, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to touch on the the rehab portion of things. Yeah, um, Was it, what was it like a pretty intense um, uh, experience? Was it uh, something that you sort of like checked in with and, and you, you essentially lived like in a, in a rehabilitation center for a bit or what was the process?
3: Yeah. So there's again, a couple of different options. Um, Because of the pandemic, um, the, the inpatient program had been shut down. Um, So yeah, I mean, I, it's a 12, 16 week program. It could be more depending on the progress that you make. Right. Um, It's, it could be inpatient where you're living there five days a week and they're you're on a meal plan you're doing you know cognitive behavioral therapy they're teaching you about nutrition and about food and really they're watching you eat right yeah, are yeah. you eating and not restricting and not purging right not not you know um getting rid of this stuff and my program because of all of that was three days a week, um, virtual sessions. So I had a, a 16 week, um, process three days a week. You're on a meal plan. They tell you what to eat. They watch you eat it while you're on a laptop camera. Like we are now and they force you to like be there for two hours so that, you know, they know that you're not you know, going to the bathroom and getting rid of it or whatever else. And that was the process. And then again, there's all the therapy that goes along with it. But the really difficult part Mm -hmm. of that entire process was the fact that every single other patient was a female, Mm -hmm. every doctor, every therapist, every administrator was a female, every guest speaker was a female. Mm -hmm. All of the stats and all of the data that was being shown was based on females. Because again, the numbers say 80% of people who, who are diagnosed, right. Are female. Mm -hmm. So here I am, right. Going back all the way to 10 years old, 11 years old going like, what the hell am I a boy? Am I a girl? Am I a mix of some crazy biological mistake mix, whatever. And and trying to live my life as presenting as male and as manly as I can coming full circle to being 30 years old, uh, you know, in this eating disorder program and everything is, is surrounded or, or around or, or sort of, you know, focused around females. Yeah. And you it's just a, another reminder of like, man, I don't fucking belong here. I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm not supposed to have these issues Um, the same way I wasn't supposed to have breasts. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and so it was this weird, like full circle sort of experience, but what it allowed me to do was really figure out that I never really dealt with the issues of, you know, when I was 12 years old, right. Like I basically, what happened was you know, when I got that surgery and I got, you know, the breast removed, I basically like branched off, right? Like I basically split from a personality perspective, like this 12 year old was still always there. And all of that baggage, all of that trauma was living inside of me. But I was living this other life, right? Mm. I was living this other persona. And when it came kind of all for full circle in that program, it forced me to open up that box, right? It forced me to really look at all of that and, and sort of try to connect the two together and, and really become, you know, like, like the person that I have to be going Mm -hmm. forward.
1: Do you, Mm -hmm. do you like one of the things I've heard in like a, a number of times now through this conversation is this sort of this internal battle of, of, of like viewing your, your feminine qualities and and those qualities sort of um sort of causing like a a a a a a short circuit in the mainframe you know like kind Mm. of a glitch where it's like wait 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 this is this doesn't feel right this doesn't feel right and and one of the things that I mean, this has come up in conversation between me and my wife, like quite a bit over the last four or five years. And it's come up on this show a lot too, is like, you know, the, the notion that we, regardless of who you are, regardless of how you identify, regardless of your gender, Mm -hmm. we all are a blend of masculine and feminine qualities. Like that is, that is what makes us human. That's what makes us who we are. And I I think that through at, at least through this podcast, and I don't want to speak for you and uh, Bry Bri or Tay, but I feel like the three of us have have really like um have very much embraced our feminine qualities through a lot of the conversations that we've had on the show. Just to add there, I like I I agree with
0: that in terms of embracing my feminine qualities, and in fact, it's like my favorite thing about myself yeah. are my feminine qualities. Though the caveat is, I do feel a lot of pressure to protect my masculinity because of what I feel are sure. society's expectations sure, sure. about my masculinity. So H-
1: having, so anyway, having, <laughs> yeah. having, like, having, put that out there as a, as a preface for this question, uh, Antonio through the therapy and through the rehab that you went through and, and, and through opening up that fucking Pandora's box that has been closed for, you know, 15, 16, 17 years today at where you sit now, do you feel like you have more of of an ability to embrace the feminine qualities that make you, you?
3: Yeah. I mean, again, it's a, that's a really, uh, excuse upon penetrating question, right? Like that's a really, that gets to the core of it. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. like it is, it's difficult, man. I, um, I got a lot of work to do still, right? I, I have okay. a ton more work to do still. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Am I 10 times better than what I was? Yeah, 100%, right? Just just admitting it, accepting it, working on it, talking through it. Um, absolutely. I mean, those are the first steps, but there is this twinge, right? There is this still mm. sort of in the back of my mind, society stigmas say, these are feminine qualities. These are male qualities and these are how we attribute them. Right. And, and if you, it's okay. If, if you're clearly male, right. And you're masculine in a number of different ways that we can attribute, like we can perceive, then it's okay for those people to show those feminine features. Right. But if there's a question, right. If they're "Eh, not a hundred percent sure, like, you know what this person's about and then you start to show feminine qualities yeah i mean i still have that worry or you know that little twinge of of shame and embarrassment around truly embracing those things but you know nobody ever had to know that i went through you know the gynecomastia thing and and you know i speak about that openly now and and whatever else but yeah I mean, I think I'm still very aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. Society says men are stoic and and non emotional right and and sort of um you know all of these not not sort of creative right like again, I write poetry right like that's not really a male, but it's changing right it is changing, and our generation is becoming much more open to that stuff mm-hmm. but yeah, but I'm still very <laughs> like you know i don't want there to be a question about my sexuality i'm still not secure uh-huh. enough totally right, right in myself that it would be totally fine with me if somebody had a question about my sexuality right mm. so it's difficult i don't i don't like that about myself and i'm i'm actively trying to change it mm. but there's still work to do for sure
1: well man i got to say like you kudos to you for for um and this isn't this isn't a comment on your masculine qualities or your feminine qualities but kudos to you for being vulnerable and for for sitting down with the three of us and sharing uh sharing so openly because you've mm-hmm. been through man you've been through a, you've been through a fucking lot and mm-hmm. and like you know we started the conversation surrounding the gynecomastia but like that was just that was really just scratching the surface. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. that was, that was just the beginning of, of an entire, you know, half of a lifetime of experience of hardship that you've been through. And so I want to say <clears throat> thank you for being, for for showing the courage and the vulnerability that it takes to have a conversation like that in, in, in front of a few strangers, but, but also knowing that this is going to be listened to by a, a massive of strangers and, Um, I think that I'm, I'm glad that you are doing better and I'm glad that you are going to continue to just like try to be the best you that you can be. And I'm fucking rooting for you, man. This is, Mm -hmm. this has been a really, really Mm -hmm. nice conversation. Mm -hmm. I just
2: want to, uh, to add there, like there were several, several moments in the run of the conversation, especially, especially when we were talking about, you know, the, the sort of like iterations of you that you've, that you've gone through. Um, And, um, and as somebody who has, uh, for a number of different reasons, uh, spent a lot of time, like reflecting on, on past selves and, and, uh, and you know, who, who I am and who I'd like, who I'd, you know, how I'd like to evolve and everything. It's a, it's, it's not something that very many people do. And sometimes unfortunate, the unfortunate side is that a lot of times it takes something really fucking awful to, 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 to open that door for you Mm. to, to become a reflective person that can, that can kind of like objectively look at yourself. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry that it seems like it did take something, um, you know, awful, but, uh, it's a, it's an, it's an incredible gift um and uh, and not to put it on you, but it seems like it, you know, the really tough shit kind of gave that to you. Mm.
3: Saved my life, man.
0: I just want to. I just want to take my time to remind people. This is my monthly reminder that uh, you can do exactly what Taylor and Antonio and Jeremy and I do by reflecting on your past lives by going to see a therapist. And I know it's not accessible to everybody, and it costs money. But dude, that's what you do in therapy, and for me, um, going to therapy this past year has been totally life changing. So, uh, yeah, just your monthly reminder. There you uh,
2: go. I'm glad you. You're, I'm glad now it's a monthly thing. Yeah, yeah. Thank well, God, Taylor,
0: thank God. Taylor, I, the, Taylor, you like the way that you just talked about that right there. You should be going to therapy, dude.
1: <laughs> uh, Antonio, uh, thanks again, man. This really does mean a lot that you took time out of your day today to share with us.
3: Yeah. I mean, listen, guys, if you don't mind, I'll I'll say thank you as well. Right. Thank you. Not just for giving me the opportunity. Right. But for what you guys do for giving the platform for people to talk about this stuff. I mean, this is the most therapeutic, cathartic, uh, experience, right. To have this platform to be able to speak openly, to be vulnerable, um to raise awareness for things that that a lot of people don't know about and to just to just heal man just to just heal and this is this has been amazing for me and i i hope it's it's been good for for you guys and i hope the the listeners kind of agree as well
1: it was as good for us as it was for you i think (laughs) thanks dude Uh, Perfect Wow, there you go, folks. That was, what a wild conversation. Um, that was great. So, so thankful, so grateful for Antonio to to uh, share that story with us. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, really rooting for for Antonio there. Um, and so glad that he he took the time to to share all that with us because it really, really did mm. mean a lot. And you mm. know what else means a lot? You. Yeah, you listening to this right now. Um we f- thank you for doing that and you can continue to do that every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Uh Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays are found anywhere you find podcasts like Spotify or the Apple Podcasts or the CBC Listen app and uh hell Thanks, on Fridays you can watch us too over on YouTube. So uh, head over to YouTube, hit the uh, subscribe button, knock the bell icon, do all that shit. Leave a comment on one of the videos. Let us know what you think, and let us know what you'd like to see more of. And uh, and yeah, just keep on supporting the podcast. We really do appreciate each and every one of you.
2: And if you except for you, Louise, (laughs) don't (laughs) appreciate you. She's a notable guys, exception. Guys, do you think Louise,
0: do you think Louise, she, dude, she checked t- out
1: fucking ages ago for
2: sure? Yeah,
1: for
0: sure. No, she hasn't, yeah. written, you know she what? hasn't written
2: back. There's
1: no way she's yeah. still, she's still,
2: <laughs> she's still very much in our thoughts. And, um, I mean, Louise, she really is the staple for getting in touch. And, um, and you can get in touch by sending an email to letters at sickboypodcast.com. And we might read that with your permission on the show. And, um, And like Louise showed, um, the more shock value you can bring to those letters, the better. And uh, the more likely it is that we will find it funny and read it, um, even if you really hate us. So you can do that, letters at sickboypodcast.com. And if you want to be a guest on the show, like our lovely guest, Antonio, that we had on the show today, you can go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact, fill out the guest form, and maybe we'll have you on.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, guys, yawn. before we end, Maybe we'll have yawn. I just want to give a shout to the person who keeps his boat afloat. That would be Lauren Sankey, the one and only just making things happen. Really appreciate you.
1: I Dude, just want to You had such a, a fucking. You had such a perfect opportunity there to make another rhyme that would have been so great. Keep this boat I, afloat. Her name is Lauren, and she's the goat. You know what I mean? That would have been fucking. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna make
0: a rhyme for Jeff, but uh, I guess now you've just made me feel um, like I'm incapable of doing anything right. So uh, thanks to Jeff, who is the chef, to mission of this podcast. I really appreciate you. Uh, can you guys rhyme anything else with Jeff? I feel like it's kind of a tough one.
2: He's a great ref.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, we? that was weak. Um, but thanks to Jeff Lonis for uh, for his managerial duties for the show. A uh, huge shout out to Donovan, the meerkat, Morgan, for the amazing sound design and to Take Part for the theme music. You can hear Take Part perform uh, their songs if you go to bandcamp.com slash take part in this or something like that. But otherwise, so, they're not so even lately. a band anymore. They've been doing the theme music for the show, but you know they haven't really played music together in a long time. But they're so great. For, they're really. So, great but their OG school. music is good. So forget about it. It's really
2: good. Don't they're
0: irrelevant.
1: <laughs> they're great. <laughs> yeah, they, they're they're irrelevant. Irrelevant.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> they're a are irrele- <laughs> irrelevant. They're irrelevant. They're <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> Guys, I gotta stop drinking while I record these. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick War.